presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and Andrew Lake of Greenville Paranormal is in the house with us as well. And we're going to get right into the show. It's going to be an abbreviated version of Spooky South Coast tonight because of the Red Sox going into extra innings. We've got a big show lined up. In the first half hour, we'll talk to Lewis Charles, the author of Helping Ghosts. And you can check out his websites, helpingghosts.com and uh, angelsghosts.com. They're both linked up on spookysouthcoast.com as well. And uh, we've also got Peter Robbins joining us on the second half of the show to talk about the Exeter UFO incident and the upcoming Exeter UFO Festival that will be taking place September 4th, and it's free. So you can't get any better than that, a, a free UFO conference. We're going to go over everything that's happening at the festival a little bit later on as well. Uh, also, if you want to tune in on the Internet, you can check out Fate Radio at fatemag.com slash fateradio or right through the link at the top of spookysouthcoast.com, and you'll be able to see us in the studio. We have all new technology that's broadcasting the show now, the video stream from the Spooky Studio. It's a, it's a new service that we're using called Ustream. It's a lot better than the service we were using before. Fate Radio made the change. And it's amazing because I'm looking at the screen and I can actually see my mouth moving as the words are coming out of my mouth. So there's no like 10-minute delay like there was before. Uh, so it's, it's pretty interesting. If you like to see what's going on in the studio while it's going on, now it's going to be real time. So it'll, uh, it'll definitely be a, a new added element to the show going forward. And it was a lot easier to connect too. Like once we figured out what we were doing wrong, it was it was beautiful. So and on the Fate uh, Fate Radio website, on the page, there's also a new chat room. There's tons of people in there chatting, so feel free to join in and get involved. And there's a complete list of the shows that are on there as well. All right, so let's get right into it with our first guest. Lewis Charles was uh, born in Canton, Ohio, and he was raised in a small farming community. While growing up, he always had a fascination with ghosts and spirits. In 2004, he launched the website Angels and Ghosts in order to better study ghosts and spirits. And by using the submissions he received from around the world, Lewis began comparing potential evidence shared in stories, images, videos, and audio recordings. He also worked with countless others on field tests, investigations, and experiments in the spirit communication in an attempt to sort the false from the real. And that's something that he put into his new work, Helping Ghosts, and he's here to join us to talk about that. Good evening, Lewis. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Tim? Oh, we're spooktacular, as we say here. <laughs> Wonderful. So uh, I have to say uh, I was, I've been reading your website for a little while now, and uh, it's definitely a, a wealth of information. And this is something that you kind of just got into because you wanted to learn more about the topic? Yeah, I had uh, an experience that happened to me back in 96 uh, where I had, uh, for lack of a better explanation, a spirit presence come upon me, um, and it just awoke me uh, that uh, to the fact that there was more than you know what I could physically see. And, and uh, I just started following that path, and before I knew it, uh, by uh, 2000, I was uh, starting to focus in on uh, ghosts and spirits, and uh, before I knew it, I had a website uh, uh, put up to try to gather uh, other people's experiences in order to uh, see what common threads I could find interwoven between them. I mean, that is the great thing about the Internet is it gives you a chance to, to check out other uh, cases from across the world and, and gather similarities and differences between them. Uh, what, what did you find was some of the most predominant factors amongst all these different cases you were getting reports of? Well, one thing that I noticed, uh, not only in the in the uh, uh, people that were reporting the uh, uh, experiences, but also uh, within the interactions, uh, uh, the actions by the ghosts, uh, uh, and also within the paranormal community, was uh, an overwhelming uh, amount of fear. And uh, you know, looking at uh, different cases of of haunting, it just seemed to me that uh, the reasons uh, potentially behind the haunting. Uh, always seemed to have a root of fear, and uh, that was really what was compelling me. Uh, the idea that uh, if fear is the is the root of, of what holds the ghost to mind here, uh, assuming that a ghost is a disembodied human spirit uh, that is a lost soul, so to speak, 
then I wanted to see if 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 I could dig dig deeper into that uh, through uh, spirit communication, uh, working with uh, uh, psychic mediums, working with uh, uh, you know ghost boxes, working with uh, EVP, and and see uh, uh, you know what the results were. Well, one of the things that I found interesting about your approach and, and the information that you have on your website is when you're talking about this fear of ghosts, you don't actually buy into the idea of demons that a, a lot of paranormal investigators will talk about encountering. Uh, you don't seem to think that demons are something that uh, are, are part of the equation. Well, that's it, and, and I found it necessary in the book, Helping Ghosts, to kind of uh, uh, address that, uh, touch on that lightly. I did write a, a book prior to this, uh, where I focused on a lot of these beliefs, uh, beliefs in hell, demons, uh, uh, etc. And and one thing when you when you go back into history, just in uh, Christianity, uh, and I, I bring that up because it has such a strong uh, influence in Western society. It's an underlying theme. Uh, you can go back and you can actually start to see where the idea of demons within Christianity started to to, to come around, and people would be surprised to hear that. That these beliefs really weren't showing up till about the early fifth century, uh, through men like Saint Augustine and Saint Thomas, uh, where they were taking the idea of um, uh, uh, the, the Greek beliefs in daemons and converting them over. Uh, you know, trying to get rid of these pagan beliefs by making them bad, and eventually uh, this evolved out uh, that, that daemons and daemons became uh, this bad thing called a demon. Uh, but but in early Greek beliefs, and, and we know this through their ancient Greek writings, um, the daemons were typically guardian spirits, protective spirits, uh, not dissimilar to our modern beliefs in spirit guides, angels, and enlightened beings. So, well, it, it, I mean, of course, we've seen over history how uh, you know certain things have been vilified and turned into something evil when it just opposed uh, what the church's beliefs were at the time. And uh, now they're kind of suffering a lot of that wrath with uh, the the backlash they're getting from people who say that they're dealing with demons and the church is turning a blind eye to it. Mm, yeah, I can tell you a story, uh, you know, just uh, one case that's in the book where uh, the people were having an attack within the home and uh, they went to their church. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just odd. The house they had, they had purchased had crosses painted outside the windows and everything. Just like somebody that had lived there prior was trying to protect uh, themselves from something coming in. Here, this couple was uh, moved in, and then they were, you know, having uh, horrible experiences uh, whenever they tried to move into the house to the point where they were basically driven out of it for a while. And when they went to the church, the church didn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, they immediately labeled it demons and said, this isn't something that we wanted to address. Uh, but yet they teach about demons, but didn't, didn't want to address it. So, Well, when, when they're dealing with these negative entities, though, I mean, you seem to have a pretty clear-cut plan uh, on your website, and I'm sure in the book as well, for, for dealing with these types of, uh, of negative spirits. Well, what I first try to do is just bring the, the investigator or the person that's suffering the attack to a place of no fear. Uh, when I began working with paranormal investigative groups, I had um, uh, some de- developed theories about this, and my first plan of attack was really to work on the fear that was within the investigators, work on the fear that was uh, within the homeowners and, and others, uh, because I found that fear is actually what gives power over to other people. It's you know, it's 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 that way in this world right now. If, sure. If if we want to hand control over to somebody, just fear them, and uh, and then we both know that uh, fear has a way of amplifying uh, the false in the in the making it uh, into something that's real to you if if you fear it. So uh, that was the first thing, and then I, in the book I talk about uh, actually addressing cases. I got to the point where I wanted to go into some cases where people were being attacked and scratched and smothered and, you know, all these types of things, weird phenomena, uh, seeing uh, shadow people with red eyes and horns, and approach it from the standpoint that, that this was not a demon, that this was a human spirit masquerading as such. And, uh, you know, in, in the, some of the cases that we, that we worked on, uh, uh, we found that, that that wasn't the case, that, that, you know, these were not demons. These were uh, human spirits, uh, what I talk about in the book called a type A, uh, personality, dominant, controlling. They were dominant, controlling in this life, and uh, they're very adept at uh, manipulation and controlling people from the other side. 
is there the danger associated with these negative spirits that uh, investigators and, and demonologists often associate with demons? Does that same danger exist with a, a negative, formerly human spirit? Well, that's what we were finding. Um, and, you know, I did talk about that. Again, not wanting to focus, uh, per se, on dangers, because I didn't want to create fears in people, because mm-hmm. most of the ghosts that we investigated uh, never ended up uh, being, you know, uh, of ill intention. Most of them, uh, you know, were middle of the road or loving. But, you know, there were those few that uh, that were nasty, and people attacked, investigators attacked, pushed, scratched, and that type of thing. Um, but, again, I, I just I felt that uh, a big proponent of, of, of suffering an attack uh, or undergoing that is is approaching it through fear, and uh, you know we rather approached it from the standpoint of calling calling the bluff, so to speak, and then working to try to take instead of playing that game, uh, trying to trying to establish uh, an emotional bond, uh, a communication, if you will, uh, to speak it openly and see if we could reach, and uh, doing that uh, again uh, with psychic medium and with uh, 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 ghost box and EVP. Do you think that the negativeness of the the negativity of these spirits could be from fear on their part? Because I, I notice on your site you make a differentiation, uh, different differentiation, differentiation. <laughs> <A> differentiation <laughs> thank you, Marcus, between ghosts and spirits. With ghosts being those trap souls and spirit being those who have moved on and, and realized what's going on, do you think that the fear could come from from the ghost not knowing where they are in fate and time and space and time? Well, yes, it's it's uh, and that's the underlying uh, theme that no matter what reason a ghost has, a human spirit has for remaining behind, the underlying theme is fear. So, for example. Uh, it could be something as simple as just wanting to, you know, a granny wanting to watch over her her daughter or her grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is a form of fear. It's it's a worry. It's a concern. Um, it could be, you know, unfinished business, as we've all heard in in the paranormal realm. Um, it could be fear of moving forward, fear of retribution from uh, from somebody uh, that's died that uh, has gone on before them, or or grandpa with a stick because he's not happy. Uh, about what type of life this person led, or they could be afraid of a condemning God or an eternal hell, etc. We, we ran into all sorts of things that uh, we were pulling out uh, as we did these investigations. But I could always draw down the fear and then an, at- and an attachment to the past. Uh, so the, the idea was uh, to try to com- communicate and bring them from the past into the present to try to get their mind uh, uh, open from the fear and then to reunite with loved ones in the light to get them to move forward and continue their journey and, and no longer remain earthbound. Well, if you have any questions for our guest, Lewis Charles, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420 to call in toll-free. You can also email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can jump into the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com as well through the Fate Radio uh, broadcast. One other possibility, I think, too, Lewis, with the idea of fear is maybe the spirit realizes that fear is maybe the most commonly associated human uh, emotion when it comes to ghosts, and maybe they realize they'll get the most reaction and the most interaction out of humans if they cause fear. Oh, definitely. That's that was uh, uh, you know the plan. Uh, for any uh, type of uh, ill-intentioned ghost uh, controlling spirit uh, was simply to invoke fear and uh, push the buttons. And uh, that's what we encountered as well. So through through your book, Helping Ghosts, it's, it's not just about helping. It's about helping the ghost and helping you deal with the ghost. It kind of works from both sides of the equation. Uh, wh- where do you find is the, the best uh, avenue for helping spirits move on. I mean, some people I know, they, they go through different cleansing procedures. They go through smudging, things like that. Other people find that just talking to them and letting them know they can go to the light works. What, what do you seem to have the most success, success with? Well, it, it, it comes down to what, what my gut feel was all along. Um, the way we reach people is communication. And, you know, if we really believe that ghosts are disembodied human spirits, then we have to start thinking uh, from the from the standpoint that you know these are people uh, with problems, people with uh, 
uh, emotional issues or just people that uh, we can communicate with and help walk them through. And so communication, and I, I say it this way, compassionate communication, uh, meaning to uh, put yourself, and I, I try to walk the reader through this in the book, try to put yourself in, in their shoes. Um, and I do this by uh, going through uh, you know, my experience with an out-of-body experience that I had uh, that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and, uh, and also just uh, uh, creating a, a sort of a short uh, fictional story uh, for the reader at, at one point, just to kind of, you know, what if this is what happens to you when you die, and, and then and you find yourself uh, earthbound here, how are you going to try to interact? Uh, you know, how are you going to try to make a connection? Uh, you don't know what, what lies ahead, uh, you know, what, what's your train of thought going to be? And uh, I really try to put a human face on, on, on ghosts. Uh, it kind of sounds funny to say that, but I guess, you know, in, in this, in this, uh, in this uh, thing of paranormal investigation, if we believe, believe ghosts are human, uh, disembodied human spirits, um, and if we've uh, done enough investigation, there comes a point where we're no longer gathering evidence uh, to prove to ourselves that ghosts exist. I think you naturally come to that conclusion uh, once you have a catalog of your own personal experiences. And then the question uh, arises, uh, what are you going to do about it? If these are ghosts, if these are people, what are we going to do about it? Are we just going to, uh, you know, mess with them? Are we just going to find them and then let them go? Or are we going to try to communicate? Are we going to try to help them? So, I mean, I've worked with uh, a number of different mediums and, and, and people who have, I don't know, a sensitivity to spirits. And I've, I've been on investigations with some who think that they can help move spirits on. And uh, we've had many people here on the show that have talked about that. And I've always wondered about the validity of that that if they're there maybe they are there because they choose to be and that us helping them on really just means well they think that we're just going to ignore them and we don't want them there anymore so they're not going to talk to us anymore what would you say is the success rate in being able to get spirits to move on well i don't know if you can uh uh, put a a percentage on it or Mm -hmm. not um to me the idea was uh uh, you know, gathering evidence, first of all, the, the eyewitness uh, uh, evidence, uh, collecting that, uh, trying to collect physical evidence, trying to collect EVP, trying to collect um, ghost box recordings that were re- relevant communications to the questions and to the haunting. And then also uh, seeing what uh, psychic mediums on the team could pick up and then gathering all the information, see what we had to work with, and then try to make the communication from that standpoint. Um, my my benchmark was this: uh, if we had people suffering a haunting, uh, if the haunting ceased after the uh, the spirit rescue, uh, then I felt that we've helped the ghost, we've solved the case of, of haunting, and then going back and, and seeing what the change was uh, after the fact, you know, getting reports back, uh, has the haunting come back? Is there any you know any more experiences that have occurred after that? Um, there was another thing, though, that, that popped up that was quite interesting. Uh, during uh, the spirit rescues, there was a release, um, uh, and I don't know how to describe this other than uh, a release of, 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 of an energy. Uh, in other words, the room would go from uh, a place of fear and uh, uh, concern, and et cetera, to uh, 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 it would lighten up, and you would feel what I could best describe as as a peace, as a deep peace, as a, as a love, as a joy that would overcome the people that were involved uh, in this, including the homeowners. So it was, it was an interesting experience, and it uh, seemed to repeat itself uh, multiple times. But there's no quantifiable, you know, nothing that you can register on any kind of meters? It's just an emotional feeling that, that eases over the, over the room? The close, well, nothing that showed up uh, on meters or anything like that, but... Uh, something that was uh, physically and tangibly uh, experienced by multiple uh, people that were involved. Um, you know, I do talk about messages. I mean, the only other way uh, was to try to collect uh, uh, responses after the fact, uh, you know, asking questions, uh, have they headed to the light, you know, this type of thing, and see if any responses could be gleaned that way through EVP or, you know, ghost box EVP. And I do talk about some messages like that that I had received. Now, even though you don't, necessarily buy into the concept of the demons you do uh talk quite a bit on your site about angels and it seems to be something that uh some of the photos that you have on the site are, are amazing but 
angels seem to be something that a lot of people buy into and a lot of people believe in and a lot of people feel are here help feel are here helping us all the time and you get a little bit beyond just the surface history of angels you go deep into the idea of you know where they came from and where our modern characterization of them comes from I always wondered if wings were something that was added on as a metaphor at some point, why when we see angels now do we have reports of these winged creatures? Do we have these you know, pictures of, of balls of light with wings attached to them? How, how is it that for something that is only supposed to be a metaphor, it's become part of the definition? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question and a very good one, Tim. Um, and it's something that I'm still searching for the answer on, to be truthful with you. Uh, to me, when I research the word angel, I mean, it just means messenger. And, you know, when you look at uh, uh, descriptions of angels in the Bible, typically they're human form. Uh, you know, thinking back to Lot and the angels that uh, appeared to him, uh, you know, uh, in the Sodom, the Sodom and Gomorrah story. Uh, if you look at Gabriel, uh, that, that name means man of God. I mean, they, they always seem to be messengers. If you go to Revelation, uh, it's talking about the angels over the churches. These were likely uh, pastors or some type of church leader. A lot of people believe, uh, you know, small small groups of uh, uh, of Christians. Um, so I, I try to get people out of the, the fluffy feel per se uh, of angel stories because uh, you know uh, of the wings and stuff. Because we can see where they started appearing uh, in uh, in uh, art. Uh, you know, uh, about four hundred. Uh, uh, you know, A.D. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, looking at uh, a lot of these uh, guardian angel stories, for example, and, and etc. A lot of times, these seem to be just enlightened human forms, uh, people that, uh, in many of the stories, uh, appear to help or bring a message. But there are stories of of winged beings, like you're saying, and experiences like that that uh, I don't have the answer for yet. So I'm I'm still searching. Well, it's just it's fascinating to me, too, when you hear about the, the ancient astronaut theory and the interaction that early civilizations might have had with, with beings from space and the idea of these wings uh, could also have come about because these astronauts had the ability to fly, which, uh, you know, people of that time must have felt they must have wings in some fashion to be able to do that. So it, it's just really the idea of angels in the paranormal is really interesting to me. We've done shows on it in the past, and I know our content director, Chris Balzano, is listening. Hopefully he can bring book you to come back in the future, and, and we can do a whole show just on angels because it's something that is those who believe uh, aren't willing to give up on the idea of the angelic. They might dismiss ghosts completely, but the, the angelic is still here in their eyes, and I, I think that there's a lot of crossover. Absolutely. Between ghosts and them. So, now the uh, the book uh, Helping Ghosts is available on both the HelpingGhosts.com website and through your other site, AngelsGhosts.com, right? Yeah, they can get it uh, through the publisher that way, or you can go to Amazon and just type in Helping Ghosts, or you can go to uh, Barnes and Noble's site and just type in Helping Ghosts and, and get it that way. Or if you go to a Borders, uh, Barnes and Noble, or something like that, they can order the book from you uh, from uh, Ingram if they don't have it in stock. So. And, and what have you found has been the response from those who have, have bought the book and used it to, to hopefully help themselves with a ghost problem? Do you, do you get a lot of success stories? Do you get a lot of people calling and saying, look, I bought the book, it's still not working, you've got to come out here? <laughs> uh, I'm, getting a lot of, uh, I, I'm getting a lot of fantastic reports, and I just talked about this recently today. In fact, uh, a lady out of California, Kathy, uh, took her team of investigators out um, uh, to work on a case and uh, uh, they had just a wonderful experience. And at the end, she, she experienced what I told you about this, this energy change, this, uh, this, this love, peace, and joy that, overcome, that overtook them. And I asked her, I, you know, by email, I said, you know, have you guys experienced this before? And uh, they hadn't. I mean, this was something that took them by surprise, uh, blew them away, and they all experienced it, and they weren't expecting it. Um, but uh, you know, other responses have been, you know, this book is uh, is is changing my life. I mean, it's hitting readers personally and causing them to rethink their view on things. And, and John Kachuba, I know he's been on your uh, show. Mm-hmm. His comment was, "It's about time." He gave me this uh, great uh, recommendation uh, endorsement on the book. Uh, 
he says he's wondered, that, you know, the same thing, why so many people uh, treat ghosts as if they're animals in a zoo, uh, entertainers performing for our pleasure instead of people like ourselves. And uh, uh, he thought it was very refreshing. So That's uh, like the bumper sticker says, ghosts were people too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So now, uh, with with, uh, with the book being out and, and and hopefully this information getting out to more people, uh, it should it should help a number of people that are having issues with ghosts. But remember, you know, just because you want them to leave, they don't always want to, and sooner or later there has to be some understanding in that regard. Uh, and I think we need to see more people that uh, ac- learn to accept the ghosts and you know treat them as part of the family. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like you said, is like the family pet. And I, I think wh- when I talk to people now and the people who want to move spirits on, people that contact us and say, can you come do an investigation, help a spirit move on, I just say to them, you know, look, if you want them to move on, you suggest it. I'm not going in there and doing it. <laughs> it's not my place. You know, it's your home. It's their home. You guys work it out. I don't come in, you know, when you want to separate from your husband or your wife, I don't come in there and mediate that discussion. So I don't want to be the one mediating it with the paranormal either. That's a great answer. All right. So you'll definitely come back in the future and talk with us more, hopefully, about about angels and the paranormal as well. It'd be my pleasure. Thanks for having me on tonight, Tim. Thank you very much. Lewis Charles' name. The book is Helping Ghosts. It's available on helpingghosts.com and on angelsghosts.com as well, both linked up to spookysouthcoast.com. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk with Peter Robbins. We're going to learn more about the Exeter UFO incident from September of 1965, and we're going to talk about the upcoming Exeter UFO Festival, which is happening September 4th and is completely free of charge. So we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Lock the doors and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, site supervisor Matt Moniz. And Andrew Lake from Greenville Paranormal is in here as well. We want to say hello to everybody in the chat room on Fate Radio. Just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Fate Radio logo, and you can get into the chat room and the live uh, video feed there. And, of course, that's where you can also check out the entire lineup of Fate programming, which you'll see right on the left-hand side of your screen while you're there. But while you're on SpookySouthCoast.com, why not make sure that you check out some of the great new articles that have been posted up. Now, we didn't have a show last week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, because of the Red Sox, but we still have had new, fresh content up there. Uh, our content director, Chris Balzano, has done a great job. There's uh, new evidence of the odd up there. There's new video up there for you to check out. Uh, we're still waiting for Moniz to answer the Ask Moniz question, but there's uh, there's plenty of features up there for you to check out, and it changes pretty much day-to-day, so you want to make sure that you go to SpookySouthCoast.com and check out all the great articles and information that are up there. And if you have something you'd like to submit, you can just email Chris uh, Balzano at SpookySouthCoast.com or send it to me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, one of the great ideas behind this is it's a, a real chance to get some discussion going. Uh, we've been running a forum on our site since we started almost five years ago, and we get a lot of uh, feedback on there. We'd like to get your feedback on these stories as well. And there's uh, one up there right now about the Bagman of Edinburgh, and you can actually go on there and check out the photos and offer your own thoughts. And the idea is that when you've acquired your own evidence, things like Lewis Charles was talking about in the first half hour, you can submit it to us, we can put it up there, and it'll go out to the paranormal community at large to dissect and discuss. So there you have it. SpookySouthCoast.com, your home for everything paranormal. All right, let's talk now with our friend Peter Robbins. You know him as a, as a wonderful UFO researcher and speaker, and he's actually going to be taking part in this Exeter UFO conference. It's coming up September 4th, and that's, of course, in Exeter, New Hampshire. The best part about this event, aside from all the great speakers that they have coming to uh, offer presentations, is it's free. And uh, all you have to do is get yourself to Exeter, New Hampshire, which if you're in the south coast area, not a far hike, 
and it's definitely worth the trip for some of the activities that are going to be going on. Good evening, Peter. How are you doing? Uh, great. Good to hear your voice again. <laughs> oh, it's, it's always great to talk with you. and it's, It seems like every time we, we have you on the show, though, we're always up against some sort of clock. <laughs> <laughs> that may be our biggest problem. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's usually what, what, what we blame it on is the, uh, the conspiracies. But mm. uh, this time, though, we want to make sure that we get the word out about this festival because it, it just looks like there's a great lineup of people coming uh, and, and offering presentations. Uh, what, what are you going to be focusing on for your discussion, Peter? Well, um, I'm actually giving two talks, one uh, for a colleague who's not able to, and the other one, um, a talk I developed fairly recently, on an important, um, well, one of the most important cases of the last 30 years or so, but one that uh, kind of got the bum's rush. Um, it's certainly the best-known case in this country of a close encounter in the United Kingdom, and it occurred in 1989 in the city of Voronos. Um, but um, because that was the year, literally, that the Soviet Union was kind of spitting out of control and ultimately uh, uh, committing suicide in a way, um, the Western press had a lot of fun with this very serious story, talking about how with the uh, release of um, uh, people to um, go back to the, Greek, uh, the Russian Orthodox Church and a certain amount of freedom of the press that you know, there were all of these abuses, and we should expect to hear these crazy uh, tales about UFOs and the paranormal, when in fact it was a brilliantly, magnificently documented, multiply witnessed UFO incident. Um, the talk that I'll be giving first, uh, though, is one that should be of particular interest to all New Englanders, and it's put together by my friend and colleague, Dean Merchant, who has lived in the Exeter area really his whole life. And what he has done has been um, a really first-class piece of research, as far as I'm concerned, where he's taken a lot of information that has been on the record for years, but put it together in a way that nobody has ever seen it. Um, most of us know that um, the original Roswell UFO incident, which occurred in the summer of 1947, occurred in the area of the Roswell Army Airfield and the 509th Atomic Bomb Wing, uh, at the time, the only nuclear strike force in the world emerged kind of in the center of the story. Uh, Eleven years later, 1958 or so, when the 509th are rotated out of New Mexico, they are sent to their new home at Pease Air Force Base on the New Hampshire coast. And guess what followed them there? Um, yes, exactly. Those funny round <laughs> judging, airplanes. Judging from the uh, Exeter incident that happened not that long later, I'm guessing the uh, the beings. The UFO phenomena uh, accelerated in the area. Um, within three years, uh, two years, we had the Betty and Barney Hill uh, UFO abduction. And then in 1965, the so-called incident at Exeter, uh, still one of the very, very best documented UFO incidents of all time, and took place, um, if I can use a little latitude, in your backyard. Yeah, no, paranormally speaking, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think many of our listeners are familiar with the Betty and Barney Hill case, but what about the incident at Exeter? Because that's something that uh, might not be on a lot of people's radars who are yeah. new to the ufology field. Well, it happened in September of uh, 1965, and one of the ironies, again, of why it did not get the world coverage it should have is the very first sightings of a huge, uh, anomalous, disc-shaped object, which was uh, registered on radar. The subject of numerous first-hand witnessing was observed from the base itself. Uh, a young man, uh, soon to go into the Navy and uh, three tours of Vietnam, named Norman Muscadello, uh, observed it and then observed it with a local police officer at very close range. But the next day, all of the calls to verify it essentially went to the base. And the officers there denied that there had been any sightings whatsoever, which was infuriating to the many eyewitnesses in the area, primarily uh, civilian, but an awful lot of military ones including, again, members of the 509th Atomic Bomb Wing. But it was such an effective ploy at the time in 
stopping conversation or inquiry that the case basically went away. And it wasn't for some years that it really received the attention uh, that it should have received to start with. So it it seems like uh, Exeter definitely deserves to have its place on the UFO map. It really does. And this is a situation which very few American municipalities uh, can qualify for. Um, Roswell, of course, uh, a small town about an hour's uh, drive from Portland, Oregon, named McMinnville, uh, had a spectacular UFO sighting uh, that was photographed, and those photos have been uh, judged to be among the finest ever taken at any time. They've been through the mill as far as analysis goes. Both of these, uh, one a city, a small city in New Mexico, the other a town in Oregon, have annual UFO conferences slash festivals to mark the event, um, to bring attention to the seriousness of the subject, to bring business to their communities. And I, I think that's a great combination. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you can use the idea of having these festivals to bring people in, uh, on an entertainment basis, and they can get the information while they're there. I mean, I'm just looking at the lineup of yeah. who's going to be speaking on September 4th, and it just seems like if you don't know anything about ufology, when you by the time you leave, uh, you're going to leave with uh, quite an education in, in just a few hours' time. Well, well said. Um, it really is a perfect event for somebody who is interested in the subject, but you know, on one level, uh, I wouldn't be caught dead at a UFO conference. You've got to be crazy to go to one of those things. Uh, <laughs> last year's, which was the first annual uh, Exeter uh, conference and festival, we had about 350 people in the audience, and it's a beautiful, historic Civil War-era town hall. I mean, you know New England better than I do, but for me, uh, the uh, town square of Exeter is emblematic of the beauty and the architecture and just feel of uh, an extraordinarily picturesque New England town. But I'll tell you what, I'm guessing about 95-plus percent of the people in that audience probably had never heard a UFO lecture in their life, and they were simply pragmatic, open-minded, tough, smart New Englanders who were curious about something and were there. And uh, I thought it was a sensational turnout. And Again, with people like our wonderful MC uh, Tim Banal, who is the uh, uh, host of a, another terrific radio show, Banal of America. Mm-hmm. Good uh, friend of this program. Yeah, well. he's the best. Um, Steve Ferrami, who is uh, not just the uh, New England MUFON director. I mean, most MUFON chapters are state chapters. This guy pretty much rides herd over all of New England and does a spectacular job. He'll be talking about a MUFON uh, New England project. Um, I'll be speaking, of course. We have uh, Phil Imbrovno, an old colleague and uh, wonderful science background, uh, multiply published author. We have our main speaker, uh, Stanton Friedman, who, uh, if you've ever seen a UFO documentary in your life, Stan was in it because it's <laughs> the law. He has to be in every single UFO documentary ever made. Uh, and he's going to be doing a talk on his and uh, our dear friend Kathleen Martin's new book, When Science Was Wrong. And um, I, I am just really excited about this. It will end with an hour-long panel discussion, no holds barred, all questions welcome. Uh, you will have access to every one of these speakers. Uh, books will be available. Every one of us will be available to spend time with anybody in the audience who wants some time with us. It will be extremely informal, and it's going to have a lot of kid-friendly things. This is, again, a combination, as you kind of wisely observed there, of entertainment and education. Um, It is something that you can feel completely comfortable uh, bringing youngsters to. It's a perfect conference event, uh, festival, so to say, where... um, you can feel very comfortable being introduced to the topic with quality speakers. Also, even though, you know, this is still very much a startup operation and we have a minuscule budget, um, a number of us are working basically just for the good karma, and um, our hope is some years from now this will be a major annual event in the Northeast and we'll be making money for this community. But I'm here to tell you, any overt profits that this 
festival ultimately starts to accrue will all go to child services for various uh, agencies in this part of New Hampshire, and that in itself is pretty noble yes. as well. It's a win-win situation. It'll be a wonderful day, a terrific weekend, an opportunity to support a terrific community. By the way, the T-shirts that they printed up for this are gorgeous, and it will be not. It will not be too early to buy your Christmas presents, and of course. Who doesn't want a UFO Festival T-shirt for Christmas? There you go. Yeah. I mean, duh. Now, one thing I, I do, uh, I was thinking about looking at this lineup and, and thinking about Exeter, New Hampshire is, you know, you you go around the country and you speak at a lot of these different mm-hmm. types of places. Stan Friedman does as well. And, you know, you're probably used to dealing with a pretty diverse crowd, but... Yeah. This is going to be hard-nosed New Hampshire New Englanders. We're yeah. talking like, you know, the uh, auxiliary characters from Stephen King novels here. Totally. The ones that didn't make it into Maine. Yeah. <laughs> this is not preaching to the choir. you got to be good. And um, there is no room for nonsense, mystical, hocus-pocus stuff, channeling from Martians. Uh, this is my favorite kind of audience because you are nose-to-nose with these folks. And they are not enamored by the subject. They don't like wasting their time. Um, it's one of the reasons that I came back, because I was so knocked out by what a terrific response we had last year. And it was an honor to take part in, in the first of these events. Uh, Kathleen Martin was instrumental last year in putting it together. And, of course, she not only is one of our most respected assets in ufology, um, she is also the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, so she is in a position uh, to know that story um, better really than any of us and has written about it with great eloquence uh, with Stan and on her own and her presentations, again, on her own and with Stan Friedman are among the most memorable I've seen in years. But yes, to cut back to the chase, this will be a serious audience of non-UFO-enamored people Please join us. Skeptics, most welcome. Well, for all the trouble Stan has from the nasty, noisy, negative, <laughs> negative he says, he's going to have to deal with the Swamp Yankees now. So. <laughs> well, remember, he's a tough kid from New Jersey, so, uh, you know, he uh, he went to school in Chicago, too, so he's got some street fighting experience there. I think I, I'm cautiously optimistic he'll make it through. <laughs> <laughs> I think too, if, if if you can crack into the New England skin uh, with with UFO talk yeah. and and really really get them to open up, I mean, you're going to start to hear that there's so many more sightings that happen up there than actually get documented. Well, you know, you bring up a great point. And following my talk last year, uh, a dynamic that I'm used to happened, but just it accelerated beyond what I was expecting which was a number of people over the next hour or so buttonholed me who were there and uh, either said or my best sense was they were not UFO buffs, as they say. Um, but a number of tremendous sightings were shared. Uh, I think it also, uh, an event like this tends to demystify and put the ridicule factor where it belongs, which is quietly sitting by itself in the corner with a dunce cap on it. It is an open zone for free exchange of information, inquiry, uh, good, friendly arguments. Um, it is really the best thing a town hall. I mean, this is what town halls are for, and we will give this one a run for its money. But again, I mean, we've been speaking a little bit lightly here. This is an important an event. Um, believe it or not, we have not had a annual UFO conference here in the northeastern part of the United States, and I speak right now from central New York State, which is my basic home base, in at least a dozen years. Uh, the last one was a Connecticut-based conference that ran about 10 years, and like most of these things, was organized by an individual or a family, and you know, you get tired. Mm-hmm. So again, we are hoping. Uh, it's just crazy that we don't have an annual UFO event here in the northeast. And where better than Exeter, New Hampshire? Uh, for any of your listeners that would like to know more about the incident at Exeter, there is a book by that name that is uh, available in reprintings and also used copies abound on 
the uh, internet from Amazon.com and Abe Books, A-B-E Books.com, um, called Incident at Exeter by John Fuller, the best book on the subject, and, of course, information on the conference and on the festival can be found at www.exeterufofestival.com. And again, it's September 4th, so it's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Downtown Exeter at the Town Hall and in Founders Park, and the best part of all, free of charge. Yeah, two weeks from today. And you know, it's going to be a beautiful fall day in New England. The, the leaves won't be turning yet, but you know, it'll still be well worth the drive coming up from the south coast yeah. uh, to Exeter, New Hampshire. Now, w- w- Aside from the fact that you know it brings a lot of money into the town and it brings some tourism into the town for the day, and what, what has been the reaction when you go to these different festivals to the local municipalities and the local citizenry? How do they feel about the idea of the quote-unquote UFO people coming to their town? Great question. Um, it varies. First, um, the one in Exeter is still very modest, and um, we're hoping, you know, it will be a boon to the local merchants. New England has got its back to the wall as much as any part of the country in these financially stressed times. In Roswell, and I've worked with the city now for four years and as an advisor and consultant, I would say um, you've got folks in that town that are very much boosters of the event. They take pride in the fact that um, they have a worldwide name recognition. That name, Roswell, is indeed known around the world and that there is this big fun event that is based on something serious, um, but that draws attention and business and tourism to their state. There are other people in town who really find it a little embarrassing, um, folks who feel that maybe the world is sort of laughing at them behind their back because the UFO ridicule factor is still a powerhouse, and unfortunately that's the way it is. Uh, McMinnville, Oregon, in May, just completed their 11th annual event. And I would say overwhelmingly, that town is 110% behind the event. Uh, their parade there is the most fun you can have legally um, in this country. I, my face hurt from laughing. I couldn't breathe um, as a, uh, a grand Martian in the parade, as they say. <laughs> But it's a, it's a perfectly schizophrenic event. Part of it is just a lot of fun. However, none of these are mean-spirited or mocking or sarcastic. Um, and the rest of it is very serious. So all the communities have people who are split. And right now we're sort of feeling things out with the good citizens of Exeter. Um, we feel as they learn more about this very important historically documented incident that occurred in their backyard, um, they should take pride in the fact that something of worldwide interest happened there. And of course, these days, anything that can bring a a few extra tourists to town is is good news. Yeah, that's the way we all feel. And again, it's a wonderful opportunity to introduce yourself to uh, New England to get some information on a subject that maybe interests you. If you are a UFO-type interested person, uh, I don't think there'll be anything that will be too overly simplified. You'll just have a great day of UFO talks, meeting a lot of interesting folks, picking up some books, and uh, finding your way around a beautiful town that uh, I hope that you'll keep in your heart. Don't forget the two other most important things about having this event in New Hampshire. That would be no sales tax. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And fireworks illegal. Yay! <laughs> Live free or die, baby. There you go. <laughs> All right, on that note, Peter, I think that's a good spot to end it. Thank you for the time. All right, thank you for joining us, and good luck with everything at the festival, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. All right, have a good night. Bye for now. Bye. That is Peter Robbins, UFO researcher and just all-around great guy, and it sounds to me like uh, he's ready to party in Exeter. I know Tim Banal is ready to party in Exeter. And so you should as well. Again, it's September 4th, downtown Exeter, New Hampshire, at the Town Hall in the Founders Park. A full day of events, all free of charge. And uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of books available there from these different speakers for you to buy as well. You can pick up uh, Stan's new book, When Science Was Wrong. You can also pick up, uh, I'm sure he'll have captured the Betty and Barney Hill case that he wrote with Kathy Martin there as well. So... Definitely sounds like a, an outstanding day. You going to head up there, Moniz? Or? Oh, of course. All right, so you can call us in with some reports on the way back, maybe? Sure. Excellent. And uh, anybody else that goes up there, feel free to shoot us an email, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com, and let us know what you think. Now, next week, we will talk to 
uh, our guest S.M. Belikorov, also known as Sean B., about his book, The Paranormal Cookbook, uh, 2012. It's, uh, it's just a, a real hodgepodge of all different kinds of uh, paranormal information. So if you go and check out that book uh, online, you'll see what we're talking about. And we're going to talk to him about a number of things, uh, pretty much run the gamut of all things paranormal, uh, including talking about the... The, the the Joker from Batman, which I know Matt Hoss will be pretty fired up for. So uh, that'll be a good show coming up. And then we've got all kinds of stuff coming up uh, in September and October as we move into the Halloween season. So just stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com, and you'll find it all up there. So I think next week we're on after the Red Sox again. Uh, it's going to be something that we're going to be dealing with a little bit here in the coming weeks. But they've got a lot of games coming up against the Yankees, too, so... That'll get us some uh, afternoon games and get us in here a little bit earlier as well. And don't forget to check out all the other programming on Fate Radio throughout the week. It seems like they've got something pretty much every day now, taking a look at that schedule from here. Yeah. And they're moving the Paranormal Open Mic Nights to Sundays, so anybody that has their own Paranormal show and wants to give it a try, they can do that as well. And Saturday nights seem to be our exclusive domain for right now, which is good because we never know when we're going to be on. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, again, go to SpookySouthCoast.com. Check out the articles there as well. Offer your comments. Go to the forum and comment on them there. And if you have anything you'd like to submit, just email uh, Balzano at SpookySouthCoast.com or me, Tim, at SpookySouthCoast.com. And it's just I, I like it because I can when I'm eating my cereal, I can go online, I can read something different, you know, and learn something about the paranormal, which is... Well, reading the back of the cereal box. Yeah, well, I can only read that so many times. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I find in my older days here now, uh, I go through a box of cereal more and more quickly. But still, you know, the back of the box is only a, a one bowl read. <laughs> so, all right. So, until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Andrew Lake, and for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it.